Welcome to Side Effects with an A. When effect is normally used, it's a noun. It's already occurred. Effect is a verb meaning action. Action influences outcomes. I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne Marie Singleton. We will provoke you to think differently. Side Effects, where problems are defined, solutions exposed. Welcome to Side Effects. I'm Scott McGowan. I'm Mike Sutman. So, Mike, uh, big UD win last night. Incredible, wasn't it? Um, well, did you go? Oh, yeah. There's nothing like it. I mean, I tell you, it was, uh, that place is electric anyway. But I've been to a lot of, remember the Xavier games? Oh, yeah. Uh, in comparison. Um, there's not quite the rivalry established yet with VCU, but you can see it building. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I think uh, uh, it seemed like for a little while there was a little bit of nervous energy, especially as they closed the gap towards the end of the game. But, uh, you know, that senior class, boy, I'm sure going to miss them. Oh, my gosh. Four years in the NCAA tournament. Uh, first time. Yeah. I think uh, what, uh, you know, you only know what you've lost when when uh, when you lose it. And then so when Dayton doesn't go to the NCAA, then yeah. all of a sudden uh, you sit back and regret. So just a terrific win. Anyway, so Anne-Marie hey, is... Hey, before we go off the subject entirely, yeah. I'm not sure if Archie's a listener yeah. of uh, Side Effects, but we appreciate everything he's done for UD Basketball. Hope he stays, but, you know, he's got to do what he's got to do, but uh, would love to keep him around. Yeah, stay in Dayton. Absolutely. And uh, Anne is actually uh, at home. Sick. Really sick. I don't know if you've talked to her. She doesn't sound very good. Yeah, she sounds uh, She sounds pretty bad. So uh, we're going to start at 8.30. Went around the building. Um, Dave Holman and I found uh, Mike Sutman sitting behind his desk reading the Dayton Daily News, reading about the Flyers, <laughs> looking at Not Tim true. Brabender's picture uh, on the front page. Uh, and then, so one of the things we wanted to talk about today was this whole element of funding for healthcare for employers. Sure. So historically, the majority of employers um, are are fully insured. So I write a check to the carrier; they're on the hook for uh, for the liability. Obviously, the larger you get, then you start looking at different elements of funding, and the largest element being completely self funded. So if I'm a uh, there, I, I know like, uh, us steel in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. So they had, uh, they paid claims in house. They owned a hospital. They paid their claims. They didn't have insurance. That's the truest form of self insurance. Right. And then, uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about was, Hey, so, so what's in the middle of that as groups kind of explore. Sure. Yeah. So the first, uh, thing that jumps in my head, uh, when you say majority of employers are self-funded, I think that is probably relative to their size. Correct. Uh, groups that are, oh, I'd say historically under 250 employees or something like that, um, generally are, are fully insured. Um, I think what we, uh, the way I look at it is it's a spectrum with, if you went to the far left would be fully insured, uh, you're selling risk back to the insurance company, you pay them a premium, they're on the hook for any claims that you incur during that period. On the far right is the U.S. Steel example. We're going to pay our own claims, maybe even own our own healthcare system. Uh, and then there's just a multitude of options anywhere in between there. And the further you go towards the right, the more of the risk that employers are pulling back. And I feel like at McGowan Brabender, our job is to understand an employer's threshold for risk and select options within that threshold. So they're not selling off risks they can afford to keep. And they're... Uh, you know, they're in the right spot. I remember your dad always said, insurance 
you have to remember at its basic core, you're paying something for to avoid a financial risk or to protect yourself against financial catastrophe if, un, if some unforeseen event happened. And, and that's essentially what we, we try to do is align the threshold for risk with the funding mechanism that they use. So why do you think this appetite, um, obviously companies got into business to make their product better or deliver a better service and fully insured is just easy, right? I write a check, I'm out of, I just tap out of the game. So, so why do you think a lot of employers are, are kind of walking uh, into this, hey, I, I want to fund this a different way? Well, it's fully insured is easy for 11 months a year. And then you get your renewal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I think that's really what is at the base of the issue with employers. They're all trying to control cost. And I think, you know, I use an analogy. Uh, I'm Catholic. Uh, one of the big things that is a hallmark of Catholic is fish fries during Lenten season and uh, blackjack. And I think employers get the feeling. Of, I don't know if you've ever been to a, a fish fry and a blackjack table, but I've learned very early the best spot to be there is on the dealer's side and not on the player's side. Because as opposed to Vegas, when you have 17 and the dealer has 17 in Vegas, it's a push. At a Catholic fish fry, the dealer takes your money. Usually there's about a 30-second conversation after that. Hey, we tied. And I have to point to the table where it says dealer wins all ties. You mean if I play blackjack? And I lose, I can, could I deduct that? Uh, if you lose enough, I'm sure you could. <laughs> and you probably would. Um, so I think the, the point is that it, it feels like for an employer, sometimes the game is rigged when you're fully insured. You have a good claims year and the employer explain, or I'm sorry, the insurance company explains that you're pooled with a lot of other employers and you get an increase, even though you had a great year and the carrier made money on you. That's kind of what they're in the business for is buying that risk. They have to have the opportunity to make money. The problem becomes when you have the bad year. It seems like the conversation about how you're pooled with a lot of other employers and it's going to moderate your increase, that seems not to be the conversation when you have a bad year and you start talking about 30, 40, 50% rate increases on fully insured. And that that really creates business problems for the employer. So they look for, what are my options? What can I do differently? Yeah, and I think one of the things too, so what, what we don't want to do is make it a crime to be an insurance company. I mean, there's a lot of risk out there. I mean, with the impact of the Affordable Care Act, so no lifetime max. I mean, I look at my, I wouldn't self-insure myself knowing all the liability that's out there. Right. And uh, I, But I think the big issue, and I think you just said that, is, I mean, they're really smart. So assessing risk, right? They're in business to make money, which is, that's capitalism in its finest hour. That's okay. But how much is too much? Yeah. And, and I, it goes back to the original point. It, it's, there's nothing wrong with a carrier taking on the risk and charging you a premium for that risk. Um, I think the mistake we run into is a lot of employers feel like that's their only option. Um, so I know one of the things we wanted to talk about today is this concept of a, a captive. Uh, a captive Number one, it's probably uh, the worst name you could pick for a, an insurance product because who wants to be captive to an insurance plan? But really, at its, at its fundamental, it, it's another method of funding your health insurance or your medical insurance expense or, or risk. And I always describe it as it's going into the self-funded pool, but rather than jump into the deep end, you're walking in through the shallow end. <clears throat> and the way you do that is you're doing it with a group of uh, employers with similar thresholds of risk, and you're making agreements walking into it as to how you're going to share that risk. Yeah, what I like about that whole concept of captive, and, and we'll talk about that, and 
is the fact that I'm, I'm buying insurance and I'm raising my hand to mitigate risk and I'm doing it with people just like me who have the same belief systems. Yeah. Versus I'm going to go, I'm not U.S. Steel. I can't own my own hospital. I can't own my own claims administrator. Uh, administrator, and I can't afford to self-fund this risk. So then I'm coming all the way back, as you like to say, I'm coming to the left, mm-hmm. and I'm going to walk into the shallow in the pool with employers and people just like me. Yeah, and the, and the basic concept, smaller employers is normally where the captive applies. So generally over 50 employees, maybe 75 employees, all the way up to maybe 250, 300 employees is really the sweet spot for a captive. And what we're basically talking about is can we the, – the major problem being self-funded at that size is the variability of your claims experience. Um, you know, you could go have – if they expected half a million dollars in claims, one year you could have a, a 100,000 and one year you could have 6 million. Uh, and that variability, <clears throat> when you put together a lot of employers of that size and maybe get a group of 1,500 or 2,000, 2,500, you become predictable as a group. Now, they can't say individually within that collection of maybe 10 or a dozen employers which group's going to be good and which group's going to be bad. But as a collective, they can be very accurate in what your overall risk is going to be. And then it just becomes a, 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 an exercise for how are we going to share this risk? How are we going to limit our collective liability and then also have the ability to share uh, the good claims experience of individual groups and the captive as a collective. So one of the things here at McGo and Braybender, so we're in a captive. Yeah, we are. So we um, we've uh, we drink our own Kool Aid. Mm-hmm. So we talk about it. We've bought it with employers just like us. Uh, it's actually proved to be beneficial for our organization. We can maintain cost. We can maintain benefit structure, and maintain contribution structures for our workforce. So to our listeners, Mike, if, if I was interested in a captive, what are some of the traits that you would look at in an employer? Well, I think it starts with generally the size, uh, because if you're looking at selling off risk to an insurance company, it's generally because you're concerned about that variability in claims you might experience year to year or even month to month. Um, and from that, you know, we could probably use McGowan Braybender as, as an example. I know you're familiar with the uh, the past six, eight, ten years with our plan, we were self-fund, or I'm sorry, fully insured. Uh, as we grew up as a company, from you know 30 to 50 to 80 to 100 employer employees, and at a certain point, we thought, I feel like I'm on a hamster wheel on this fully insured. Again, nothing against the insurance company; they're they're buying the risk and they're setting the rules for how they're going to charge you for that risk. We went, we got a little frustrated with that, and. We weren't uh, the captive wasn't an option available to us six years ago. We went fully insured or self-funded, and I I don't know if you remember the term that our underwriter used when we had our first year finish with uh, self-funded, but he said we're now a statistical anomaly. It was kind of like, well, what do you mean? It's in, uh, statistically very unlikely, if not impossible, that we could have as many large claims as we did in that year. Um, it was a it was a a risk we bought and a risk we paid for for that bad year. But we stuck with it because we knew that eventually our claims would return because we're a small company. We would have good periods. And self-funding gave us the opportunity to take advantage of that. So we wanted to go to the captive and the captive said, um, you guys need to go take a, sh- a shower and clean your feet off <laughs> yeah. because you're going to make our pool dirty. Right. So then we had to kind of step back and say, okay, if we want to participate in this captive, 
we're going to have to clean some things up and be a little more intentional in a, in, in, in a lot of different respects. Yeah, and while I'm a big fan of wellness and I'm a big fan of identifying risk, mitigating risk, finding that risk in your group, giving people programs where they can help control it and empowering healthier living, um, there's limitations as to what a small employer can do to get rid of that variability in claims. Because you have a relatively small amount of fully insured premium uh, and the risk of every individual in that plan, somebody gets hit by a bus or has a premature baby or whatever the, the claim might be that is, you know, twice what your annual premium is, there's only so much you can do to control it. But again, as a collective, 2,000 employees or more, if they're all saying we're all going to do this thing, it becomes really good. So there's underwriting coming in. You've got to have uh, to protect the existing captive members. you got to have somebody guarding the front door to make sure people's feet are clean before they jump in your pool. Yeah, and I think one of the things that that's what we like about the captive is the fact that you're buying insurance with people just like you. Mm-hmm. So there's a wall. There's right. a filter. There's a screen. Yeah. You have to knock on the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be invited into the captive. But one of the things, too, that was really interesting to me was, I mean, obviously, insurance companies, um, they have to make money. Uh, otherwise, that's unavailable to us. But the margin creep, so the amount of money that they make, and when you look at a captive, there's an opportunity to, to reduce that margin for an employer. Yeah, and... and- Essentially what you're doing, and Scott, I know I've heard you use the example before, but just down the street from us, there are the, I think they're Sears and Roebuck houses. Yeah. People bought them however many years ago, just out of the catalog. And that's kind of the the insurance company. We'll provide claims administration, eligibility uh, uh, adjudication. We'll we'll provide stop loss or, or pooling. We'll provide disease management and pharmacy. And all of the components of a well-run healthcare plan come from the carrier. What the captive does is essentially takes that group of employers and create a greater sense of ownership. And we're going to go out and we're going to look for the best administration, the best, best network, the best pharmacy deals, uh, the best stop loss deals, the best disease management. And we have I kind of think of it as like a power strip that's got six or eight cords where you can plug things in. If one of those isn't working, if it's your network or your pharmacy or your stop loss, it's easily unplugged and replaced with a replacement that is a better fit. And it's very, it it avoids uh, any, uh, much disruption at all to the employee. They're still carrying the same card in most circumstances and they move on. So what, what 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 does it look like for an employer in a in a good year with a captive, and what mm-hmm. does it look like for an employer in a bad year? Yeah, it, it's it's tough to do um, purely through audio. Uh, there, there's some visuals that help, but what you basically got is let's say we've got ten employees or ten employers. Uh, they all have 150 employees, so you've got 1,500 people. Um, each one of those is assigned a uh, expected claims amount based on the things that every carrier looks at, demographics, plan design, location, uh, existing risk, and so forth. And so each individual employer will have a different amount of expected claims. They fund that claim uh, into uh, a pool, which is called a group captive or the collective uh, captive pool. And the, the grand total of that may be $3 million through the year. And every employer has a different contribution into that $3 million. And then based on the end of the year, they look at how did the captive perform against that $3 million. So if they did $2.4 million, there's a $600,000 surplus. 
And it's all about just agreeing up front as to how that surplus is going to get shared back to employers. And generally, it's shared relative to your contribution to the surplus is what you are uh, able to get back. And it's closed out at the end of the financial year. And you get a check at the end of the year saying, here's your dividend from the captive. So then I'm protected. I'm, I'm, I'm protected from big losses. And if there's big wins, then I also have an ability to come back uh-huh. and get a return Correct. on my money. But I'm also with a lot of other employers that are just like me. What about if it's bad? Well, if it's bad, uh, and what we would talk about is there's two circumstances of bad. If the one individual employer has a bad year, so we use that $3 million group captive, and let's say McGowan Braybender was in it, and our contribution into that captive was uh, expected to be $400,000. But gosh, we have a a big claim and a bad year, and it's it's five hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars. There's pooling to protect you against any single claim. You each employer decides how much of the individual claim they want to take on, and then pays in. And at the end of the year, if we had that three million dollar expected, and the group did well, but the individual group, or I'm sorry, the captive did well, but the individual group did poorly. Um, your capped, you know, what you were expected to pay is your capped and max amount. You pay that in. It just did, uh, dilutes the amount of surplus that would be available. And if you cost the captive money or reduce the surplus that's available, you don't participate in the dividend back. But you're like fully insured. Your worst case scenario is already defined at the beginning of the year. The second scenario is if it's bad for the entire captive. Uh, again, that means. The three million we expected. Let's say we had three point three million. It's already covered. You've already maximum or you funded the maximum, so you know the max, the worst case scenario walking into the year, uh, and then it becomes the renewal cycle. And the nice the difference between the captive and the and the uh, fully insured is that discussion that happens when you have a good year under fully insured. It's you have a good year, but we've got a whole group we've got to adjust. So you get and, and we start to convince clients that a 5% increase is a good thing, even though their claims are half of what they expected. And the captive, the discussion is, you had a good year, here's your check, and your renewal might be, I, I know from a going brave in the last two years, uh, our renewals have been less than 2% each year. Wow. On, on top of trend, healthcare trend that's running at about 11 and drug trend that's running in many years between 15 and 16%. So, one of the things that uh, – so in, in thinking about this to try to make it sense, so we'll go back to the Sears Roebuck thing. So if if I got – if we were a trucking company mm-hmm. and we wanted to buy trucks, I doubt we would go to that uh, manufacturer and buy a 1,000 trucks as a group of employers and buy, buy our oil changes, our maintenance plan, our fuel, our tires, all from that company. Right. I would think we would all get together and say, where can we get the very best deal for our organization for vehicles? Mm-hmm. Where are we going to steer our, 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 our folks to go get fuel? Where are they going to get oil changes? Where are we going to distribute tires? So strategically, us individually, if we were in that business, we would make those decisions. And what you're saying here is that ability is available to employers in regards to a healthcare transaction. Yeah, there's a there's a captive manager, and the captive that uh, we're, we're involved with several, but the one that we think is uh, best structured is one where the captive manager, the person that is, or the group that's ultimately responsible for your administration, your stop loss, who's selecting those vendors, um, those people um, are independent. 
So there are captives out there, for instance, that are formed and owned and run by a stop-loss carrier. Part of the problem with that is I can't imagine the scenario where the stop-loss carrier is going to come in and say, <clears throat> the captive's running well, but our stop-loss isn't doing well. We're going to change stop-loss carriers. Uh, they're going to continue. They're kind of tied into that, that system. So what the captive does is you are able to, through your quote-unquote ownership in the captive, uh, the captive uh, members uh, are involved in selecting, uh, understanding the information, and selecting the vendors. There's an annual captive meeting. Ours this year will be in June in Nashville. All of the other co companies that are in our captive will spend a day and we'll hear from the pharmacy vendor, the stop-loss carrier, the disease management company, and they'll say, here are things we need decisions on. And as a group, you'll decide what makes the most sense. Yeah, I think one of our jobs, too, as consultants, as we like to say around here, we're a building full of good, smart people, effectively manage the entire healthcare dollar. Our job is not to sell any customer anything. Our job is to educate them through one of our values of knowledge and communication. So if, if you look at these strategies from being fully insured all the way to self-funded, if someone was interested in, hey, how do I learn more of a, uh, about a captive, where, where would they go, Mike? Well, I think first, if you're a, a McGowan brand or a client, you would simply just talk to your, uh, your account management team. Uh, tell them you've heard this and you're interested. Uh, we generally do a lot of vetting up front into the captive, uh, not just because it's the right thing to do, but we're also a member of the captive and we want to make sure people have clean feet when they jump in the pool. Um, so that would co coordinate through McGowan Braybender. Outside of that, if you're not currently with McGowan Braybender, uh, you know, reach us through our website. There's all sorts of ways to get in touch with us. Uh, and uh, we'll come out and we'll, we've got two different presentations. And the first is just what is a captive and how does it work? It's important for the financial people involved in the company to understand how that works because you are buying risk. And in the short term, there's a potential you could pay more in a, in a, in a given year than you would under fully insured. The real key presentation, though, is when you look at a captive, it's a long-term strategy, not a one-year option. I think, I think even our captive, I believe, in the last four years, there's only been one company that's left the captive, and they left because they were they sold. Well, actually, what, they, what happened was they were a group of about 130 that made an acquisition of another 240 employees, and that group that they acquired had a significantly different risk profile, much worse risk profile. The captive said, geez, this is a problem for the other captive members. And quite frankly, because of the acquisition, the group was now large enough where they were predictable enough where they should have been self-funded anyway. Uh, it, it was suggested that they not uh, return into the captive, and the employer agreed and, and left on very good terms. The captive, you know, sometimes when you go into the self-funded pool through the shallow end, when you start to be able to swim yourself, you want to go into the deep end. It's, it's a better place for you to be. And that's kind of what happened here. Yeah. So one of the things, too, that's really important is, and we even tell our own workforce here, is I hope you don't tell anybody we sell insurance because that would be a miserable existence. But every understanding what you just kind of uh, unpacked in, uh, in 20 minutes is what you need is you need expert advice. You need someone to hold your hand through, hey, this is where you're at and this is how far, how far are you willing to go? And for an organization to, um, and an expert to kind of assess that. Yeah, and you mentioned something earlier that um, we're, we're not here to sell you a captive. Sometimes because of my knowledge of it and my, my uh, enthusiasm around them, sometimes I feel like I come off as selling a captive. But really at the heart, what we've got to do 
is there are companies of that size profile that are frustrated with being fully insured that it just might not be the right fit. Uh, you've got to have the ability to incur downside of maybe 10 or 15% more than you would under fully insured. And if you if you don't have the ability financially to withstand that, then you should be selling your risk to an insurance company. Um, but we would consult with you along the idea of, hey, if you like the idea of captive, here's what you need to do to get yourself ready and prepared to join a captive. Um, and the idea, again, goes back to the first point I made. It's about identifying an employer's threshold of risk and, and aligning their product and the way they buy insurance with that threshold of risk. Well, thanks for being here, Mike. Sure. And um, also, one of the things, too, is, you know, I sense, I mean, you believe it. I do. So you believe in it. In and the I, right circumstance. Exactly. And so you need expert advice. Uh, and it's a complicated subject. So try to try to unpack that in 20, uh, 22 minutes is, uh, is virtually impossible. So if you're interested in hearing more about a captive, reach out to uh, your account manager here at McGowan Bravener or go to healthierbirthdays.com. And um, we certainly appreciate your time today. Sure. I hope I was a suitable substitution on short notice and go Flyers. Absolutely. And uh, thanks for listening to Side Effects. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks for listening and opening your mind. If you're interested in learning more, you can reach us at scott at healthierbirthdays.com. Or Ann at healthierbirthdays.com. We hope you'll join us next time on on Side Side Effects. Effects.